Welcome to Stern Chats. I'm Debna Shukla. And I'm Andrew Slotnick. We spoke to Andres Cabrera, a fellow Sterny who's originally from Colombia. Before Stern, Andres worked in investment banking and also became a mindfulness coach. At Stern, he's a co-president of LABA, the Latin American Business Association, and also a TA for famed Professor Demodoran. Andrew, what was your favorite part of our conversation? Speaking with Andres was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed learning about two things. First, how he used meditation to be more mindful and thoughtful both professionally and in some really difficult situations in his personal life. Secondly, Andres is a phenomenal goal setter. He was able to achieve his mindfulness coach certification. He was able to compete in Ironman. And then finally, he was able to further his career in a really competitive field in technology. He's such a dynamic guy. I can't wait to get started. Let's flip the switch and get going. Let's cue that music. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Andrew Slotnick. And we are so excited to have our fellow student, Andres Cabrera, here in the studio today. Welcome. Good morning, guys. Excited to be here with you. So we have a tradition here at Stern Chats called the 30-second pitch. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, it's been a while. Uh, sure. So I was born and raised in Colombia. Um, I did my undergrad in economics and philosophy. After that, I did investment banking in the project finance side for about six years. Um, then I came here to Stern, and now I'm looking forward to start working at Amazon next summer. Excellent. So six years and a half yeah. in investment banking. I did it for about eight months <laughs> and bolted. I have to give you a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very tough, especially in the beginning, like when you're an analyst and you have to do all the work. It's really, I mean, long working hours. I was working around like 100 hours per week. It was it was a tough time, but uh, definitely like a very rewarding experience. A kind of learning and like my vision and way of, of, of seeing things and tackling business problems is, I think, somehow advantageous to, to some people that don't have that training. So I'm very proud of that. Was it fun? Because that's the question I have for investment bankers who work these crazy long hours. You know, coming out of undergrad, you're 20, you're 22, and you're just trying to prove yourself. And the best way to prove yourself, I guess at that point for me, it was just showing that I could work long hours. And, uh, you know, investment banking was trendy, and it's something that people say it's, it's, it's something that smart people, quote-unquote, do. So I was... I was, yeah, I was having fun trying to fulfill that idea of others that I wanted others to have in me. But looking in retrospective, even though it was a very good experience for learning experience for me, I could have uh, had a better uh, life balance at that time. I feel like people go into investment banking for a number of reasons, at least for me. Um, I liked the core finance work, like the almost like the academic ideas behind what you're doing. I think that's really fascinating. I also think a lot of people out of undergrad are fascinated with the idea of going to work in this environment. It's fast paced, there's a lot to do. Um, But people quickly realize 
what's a good fit for them. And I think that's why business school is so great. I feel like I, I've heard somebody say how you go to business school to trade careers with others. And oh, I that's feel a like, good one. And I feel like all three of us, in a sense, are are sort of doing that. I don't know if you felt that's that way, Devna, since getting here. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I think you're right. I think when you're young and you're just out of college, you have this like adrenaline, this ability to work really hard and work these long hours. Then as you get older, you start thinking about how does this job fit in with your life and not just take over your whole life. Exactly. And, and I, I mean, I guess, of course, the money is also a factor then. They pay you. I mean, they pay you very, very well for being a 22-year-old. So... I mean, it's the first time that you're fully independent financially, so that's also like a very appealing thing for it's, banking. Oh, it's it's a great feeling knowing yeah. that you just come out of college and you can support yourself. Hey, mom and dad, look what I'm doing. Um, but I'm, I'm curious a little bit more, Andres. So post your time in investment banking, was that where you really thought about going to business school? Was there a time period between banking and business school where you did something else? Maybe you can talk a little about, a bit about that. Sure. I mean, I guess I did a few activities in between. I mean, not in between. I was still doing investment banking, but I, at some point, I guess it was like four years into that, I started feeling that I needed more like purpose in my life. So I started doing some some things in mindfulness. I started like working out, but all of this was still working in investment banking. The thing is that I was like more senior. I had the ability of somehow manage my time and accommodate my time to do these things. So you mentioned a key word there um, that we definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into, and that's mindfulness. Right. Um, you are a certified mindfulness coach. What was the process like for discovering that as a passion of really wanting to take that seriously? Um, sure. I mean, to be completely honest with you, the thing that triggered this was that I was in a very difficult time in my life. I had recently broken up with a longtime girlfriend. I was devastated. And on top of that, my mom was, was sick. So I was having a very difficult time and I started like looking at different opportunities or, or things that could help me just get over that. I started attending different seminars and like uh, weekend retreats. And I started feeling that those things was were helping me, but of course, it's very difficult to change habits that you've had for 25, 26 years in one weekend. You see, after that weekend, like I started feeling some changes, but those changes stayed for one week, two weeks, maybe three weeks at the most. Um, and then I just went back to my old habits. So at, at that point, I, start, I started realizing that I, there was something that could be changed and that was helping me feel better and I wanted to make it long-term. So for, I mean, I honestly, I guess for just reason of, reasons of life, I met this person that had just come from, from the Tibet. From Tibet. And she, she met a guy that had worked for the Dalai Lama for many years, and she established a relationship with him, and, he, and she was basically bringing a new, like this mindfulness certification program as a coach to people in Latin. I established a very good relationship with her, and long story short, I was enrolled in this program. There was, this was like 250 hours uh, of training, and yeah. Do you consider mindfulness to be similar to meditation, or what does mindfulness look like for you in your daily life? That's an interesting question. I guess 
many people, there's several words to describe that. People say awareness, people say consciousness, people say being in the present. And those words might describe that, but the real question is, how does that feel? How, how, how can you know that you're being mindful? And I guess like the, the, the best way to describe that is think when you're in a roller coaster and you're just getting to the cliff. And when you start falling, you just start screaming. Wah! And the feeling that you had in, at that moment, you're not, feeling, you're not thinking about, about anything else besides like the, the God feeling that you're having in that moment. You're just screaming and you're so focused on that moment that that's the only thing that matters. Wow. That's a great analogy. Because I've, I've had a number of people explain mindfulness to me before, meditation, and I'm going to be frank with you, I haven't gotten it, only because I think my mind is racing at a million miles a minute, I can't concentrate, but having you described it in that way of like a roller coaster, I think that resonates with me. Like, I I think it's a lot clearer, at yeah, least in, embr- my, in my view. Yeah, like embracing, embracing that feeling, because I think that we assume mindfulness and meditation is so quiet. It's all about being in that quiet, but you're just saying it's about listening to those pure voices inside of you. Exactly. Exactly. So then how did you become inspired to be a coach for other people with mindfulness? So going back to this 250 hours training, the first half of the program was getting to know yourself. And I guess, or I think most of the time since we're born and raised for our par- by our parents and friends, we are used to hear people tell us what to do. And, but we, I guess we never stop and listening and, and, and listening within, like listening what's our, our true self telling us what to do. So the first, again, coming back to that, the first half of the program was learning who you are or who I was. And I went back to my childhood, I, under, I understood many of the part of the patterns that make the person that I am or I was at that point. And by understanding that, I was able to connect to my humanity. And the whole principle of Buddhist is that we, the, the thing that we all as humans share are, is, is humanity. So as getting this connection with humanity, I was able to start connecting in a different way with people. So this not only changed the way I was performing at work, but the way I was relating with other people. And just to give you a quick example, the final task that I had to do for getting my certification as, as, as coaching mindfulness was doing something that or was coaching someone that would, that would basically go against all my beliefs. And we found that person in a prison. It was a guy that had been sentenced for, I think it was 75 years because he had abused sexually more than 10 women. And in those assaults, he had killed one of them. Wow. So this was, I mean, going going to a prison and having a conversation and coach this guy was from my, from ethical, from many perspectives, very difficult for me, very challenging. And coming, and, and the task was, trying to connect with this guy with his humanity and understanding that he was, as I was, a human being and I I could connect with him and establish a relationship with him and coach him on on something that he wanted to be coached. So I came to the prison and, of course, there was a lot of bias. He thought I was a psychologist. I thought he was 
a criminal or so many words that I just even don't even want to uh, say here. And establishing like a very a, a human connection was very difficult at the beginning. How did you do that? How did you walk in with these biases that you guys had against each other and even establish that commonality? I mean, it was a lot of training. It was a lot of meditation. It was a lot of fully understanding who I was and fully understanding this principle of humanity. However, just getting there and seeing this guy in front of me just kind of erased all of that training and just put all the biases that I had for him at that moment. And then I started realizing that I wasn't being self-aware and I started like gathering my thoughts and doing the, the, the training that I had done before coming here. And I started preparing and doing um, mindfulness exercises with him. And he, and slowly we, he started like softening out and I, I started also softening and we started like making a connection. And long story short, I had four sessions with him. Each session was about two hours. And at the end, he started crying like crazy. He realized what had propelled his acts. He understood that when he was a child, he had been abused by his father. He was a protector of women in the, in the sense that he was constantly protecting his mom when she was abused by his dad. And when he tried to do that, uh, his dad came and just like threw him away. And then he did the same thing with different women at school. When, every, when, any, when at any time someone was trying to abuse or do anything with another woman, he was standing there defending that woman. And this, this behavior gave him the tag of being gay. And he couldn't stand that social tag of being gay because it was something that he was not, he was not that and it was very difficult for him to accept that and he, was, he wanted to show he was a tough male, you know? Sure. And so at that point he started like using the only tools that he had in his power to show that he was this tough male. And it was what he learned back at, back, back at home that he was basically abusing women. So this whole thing triggered the, the behavior that he, he started having at that point. And again, he started like crying. He started realizing what happened. And after that, like the, the, the result of that is that he asked for forgiveness to the woman that he had abused. And he started doing chats or, or training programs in the prison for people or, or for people that had done something similar so that they could at least had someone that had done the same tell tell them their his process and at least try to uh, have some self-awareness on their side wow and after only four sessions with someone yeah so what was your reaction after seeing this whole process come full circle right so here you went in you obviously had a lot of reservations um you had a lot of bias, but you leaned on your training to go through this almost like a pinnacle moment. Once this process was complete, or it might still be ongoing, how did you feel? What did that inspire you to do next? Um, yeah, so I guess coaching is basically empowering others to look for the, for, for the answers they're looking within themselves. So I guess after completing this with this person, it was just the personal satisfaction of knowing that I was able to go 
beyond beyond my biases and truly connecting with someone with his or her humanity. Wow. So then for those of us who want to get started, how you're, you're we... selling me hardcore. This is <laughs> no, like because it's, it's interesting. Um, it's something that I've always thought about. Like I mentioned before, I hadn't really been able to connect with, but hearing these firsthand accounts, particularly from you, Andres, like it's impacted me. Like I'm so curious to also hear about your day to day. If you have any routines or ways to incorporate mindfulness, like I wake up in the morning and look at my phone, I'm pretty sure that's probably the worst thing to do for mindfulness. And from there, it just go, go, go until I come back at home. And so I'm curious for people like Andrew and I who are beginners who want to incorporate some key principles, how do we get started or what are some small things to do to, to walk that path? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess meditation is one of the, of the things that comes to mind. And, and I guess you just have to start doing things step by step. I mean, you don't have to. If, if you're going to start meditating, it doesn't mean that you're going to meditate for, I don't know, one hour. If you start doing it five minutes each day and you just, I mean, I guess the difficult thing here is changing habits. Mm -hmm. So if you create the habit of just doing it five minutes each day and maybe the easiest way is, is after you wake up, then you start having that habit in your in your life, and then you can start like just having longer and longer and longer periods, and it's just like going to the gym. Like the first five days, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna feel painful, but after one two months, you just start feeling the results of being to, of of going to the gym in your body. You're gonna start feeling better. You're gonna start feeling that reassurance that the work that you did is showing in the mirror. Here's the same thing, just that the mirror is an internal mirror. How has mindfulness changed your experience at Stern? Actually, the, like one of the first things that I had here at Stern during lunch, I still remember that. We, I don't know if you guys had it, but um, Connie Kim, who leads the leadership development program, she came to us, she talked to us about the program and how it was a tool to, to help us become mindful. And the last thing that she did in that session was give five a five-minute meditation. After that meditation, we came out of the class, and I heard people saying, why are we meditating? I mean, I came to business school. I'm wasting my time meditating. People like me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so the first impression of, of, of knowing that I wasn't surrounded with people that had the same ways of looking at meditation or mindfulness was shocking, uh, especially because when you when I came to New York, New York is a, is a city that moves so fast. It has so much energy just all around. And on top of that, I was starting to see that I was with people that just didn't care about meditation and mindfulness. It was something that impacted me negatively. Mm -hmm. But then I guess, as you guys just mentioned, everybody is somehow interested in being more mindful and in meditation, they're just, they just don't want to voice it because they think it's something that's not cool or I don't know. And as I started having personal conversations with different people that now are very close friends, I just found out that everybody is very into that and it just opened the door to start being, I wouldn't call it a coach, but just starting helping them uh, initiate into meditation. Absolutely. You had a really pivotal moment um, in Colombia 
as a result of your mindfulness training. And I, we would love to talk about that and hear more about your experience there. So Colombia um, had um, a difficult war with uh, guerrilla groups for the past 50, 55 or 50 years. It all started with the... Uh, with the Cuban Revolution back in the 60s. Um, and at that point, some guerrilla groups started forming in Colombia with the whole ideal of, of communism. Time passed, um, and they started shifting from, from being communist to just being terrorists that, was, that, that were funded by, by drugs. And then the whole war came with kidnapping people, killing people, taking taking different territories of, of, of Colombia with, with arms, um, with firearms. And after 50 years, the government that was in place in 2014 finally had the opportunity of starting a peace dialogue. It was a long process. It lasted between two to four years. What is that conversation like to, again, find the humanity in them when they've done so many horrible things, not only to your family and friends, but also to the country as well? Yeah, it's peace negotiations. Nothing's perfect. And we have to start from, uh, from forgiveness. If we don't forgive, it's very difficult to go to the real tough process that is the implementation of the treaty. And if I that had that personal, that personal uh, experience, and that I was kind of the privileged people in Colombia, wasn't able to forgive, then what would have been of the rest of the country? So the first thing that I did that I did was forgive, forgive them, and start seeing at the future of the country, because the alternative is just going to war and trying to kill these guys, something that the government have been trying to do for the past 50 years. And it didn't work, and it just brought more debts to our country. So forgive again, forgiveness, and then start looking objectively and at the things that we wanted to, to give them and the things that they were going to give the country. Um, and looking at the best balance to achieve something that would, that would help the country move forward and not keep going backwards in, in the development of the, of the nation. And has the peace treaty been successful so far, or what's, what's are the latest? Um, I mean, I don't want to become political here, but there's, there's been a huge opposition to the, to the peace treaty. Uh, people, there's some, some, I guess, a group that doesn't believe in the peace treaty because they think that the government gave too much to this guerrilla. And as a result of that, I mean, elections comes, comes this year and there's just a huge polarization. I mean, if you, if you think that here in the U.S. There, there's a, a huge polarization because of Trump, in Colombia, I would think I would think it's if not worse, at least the same, and it's just a disagreement or people that want to be in power thinking that they could have done better. Did you feel as though you had a sense of duty? Of here's this really 
monumental opportunity in the history of Colombia? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the answer is yes. Um, and just to give you a quick background on that, Colombia is a very, as a developing country, is a very segregated country, um, where thirty six percent of of the population is poor, and public education is not fantastic. So if you see the people that are in power, say politics or just taking or just uh, managing the, the, the corporations in Colombia, they're the typical families that have the privilege of, of, of having some, some money when they, were, when they were young. They have the possibility of going to private uh, schools. Fortunately for me, I was one of those people. And I think that now that I have, I had the opportunities of having a great education, of being at Stern, I need to, I'm responsible of, of giving back something to Colombia. Uh, and I would love to especially give something in terms of education, because I think education is something that would change the way the Colombian population is raised. So you've had this really impactful experience right before Stern. Um, this is the summer of 2016. You're coming to New York. Um, how did that shape your next moves? I was, at that point, I was ready to make a transition from investment banking. Of course, at that point, I was already accepted to NYU, so I was just ready to make that transition. And then I was just, just willing to bring my different way of, of, of seeing things, my mindfulness, my, my ability to, to, to be really focused on things, and um, I guess I, have, I also lived in three different countries. So like bringing also this multicultural way of thinking to Stern and blending that with all the amazing people or, or uh, classmates that we have here and just getting something from them and just creating this blend, a more meaningful blend uh, for me. You're also the co-president of LABA here at Stern, the Latin American Business Association, which I would like to share with you has probably the best reputation on campus for having the best events, especially the semester uh, LABA party. It always sells out. It always does so well, and people really love it. What have you brought from your sort of Colombian heritage to Stern to really make it that fun, vibrant experience? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I guess it's it's... The, the reputation that LABA has, as you just mentioned, is this great party or parties that we usually have. And it's true. We, we Latins, I think we love to party and we love dancing and doing salsa or samba or, or from wherever the or for, for different countries that we have in, in LATAM. We just bring a huge heritage of, of dancing and having fun. And I'm proud of that. And, I'm, and, and we're constantly encouraging that and trying to make it better. But also as, as a co-president, I guess I and, and, and Gabe, my, my co-president, were trying to bring different things to the table besides showing uh, how good we are at partying. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate it. I know. We appreciate it when it gets very stressful here, when you're very busy. Even now, I'm already thinking, okay, when's lava? Like two or three weeks? Okay, cool. So now I know that there's like a light to look forward to, to have some like flavor and spice here at Stern. Right. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, and, and I guess we just, 
in, in terms of partying, we just try to bring this different flavor to to this American culture that we usually go to and, and just go to bars and have a beer and just hear the traditional American music, just have a different experience that always, like, shaking the body is always a, a good experience for everybody. Absolutely. A different type of mindfulness. Right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> You've also had a really un, uh, interesting and unique experience working with Professor Demoterin here at Stern. I have not had the had the honor, I should they say. They keep saying he's coming back. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for, for my tuition to pay off. <laughs> Andrew and I have not taken his class yet, but what was it like to work for someone who I've heard is the most brilliant and, like, the kindest professor here at Stern? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been an amazing experience. I think he's the best professor that I've had in my life, and just taking his class uh, was a very enriching experience. Besides all the concepts that he that he knows very very well, he just has a huge charisma and makes learning fun. Uh, so it was a a great experience. And working with him, it's also been a privilege because he's a very accessible person. I mean, he's on top of absolutely everything. He responds to every single email that every student sends or every people around the world sends him. And in different occasions, I've had like personal questions or issues regarding financial situations, and I can just reach to him, and within one day, he'll just respond with a very effective way uh, that helps me tackle that situation. You're also incredibly humble because I'm like questioning if I should even take this class and if I'm like allowed to even sit in that classroom. One thing I want to ask you is how did you get that gig? <laughs> because I know, he, I mean, he, you can watch his lectures on YouTube. He's obviously a very public professor here at NYU Stern, maybe the most public, I guess, between him and Scott Galloway. Mm -hmm. um, how did that conversation happen? I just started taking advantage of of the openness that he has when he teaches a class. So I was constantly sending in emails or going to his office to ask questions. And because of that, I guess we established a student-professor connection. And, of course, you need to have a good grade in his class to be to be thought of as a person that can that can be his TETF. And just the mixture of that, of, of having that connection with him and having a good grade uh, were, the, were, the, were the two things that helped me get that gig. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. A success story here at NYU. <laughs> you, too, can come to NYU and be <laughs> Professor DeMotorin's TA. Or reach out to Andres if you're in the class for help, which is probably what I will be doing at some point <laughs> in my Stern career. He'll be he'll be on his way at Amazon. He'll be getting emails from me. <laughs> How do you do homework number two? The time difference will work in my favor, though. You're three totally. hours behind. It'll all, be, it'll all work out. <laughs> so more or less transitioning away from what we've been talking about, you graduate in three weeks, three and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, you are going to be moving to Seattle to go work with our friends over at Amazon. Um, beyond that, beyond professionally, what's next for Andres Cabrera? Taking advantage of all the things that I've learned here at Stern, um, making sure that I keep the, the, the connections with the friends that I've made here. I'm honestly not very good at that. Uh, once I move away of the city or of college or of this master's that I'm finishing, I'm usually not very good at keeping up with the friendships that I've built through the time. That's because you have so many friends. Yes, and you're also <laughs> mindful about the fact that you have so many friends too. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a good problem to have. 
So I want to, I want, I just want to make sure that I keep those, keep building on those, on those friendships that I have. And uh, maybe going back to do um, at least a, a half Ironman before I start, I start working at Amazon. I don't know how you do it all. And there's so many different <laughs> facets of you, you know, TF or demoter and running Ironmans. Like, do you have, what's your, and also like, what's your next big goal that you have too? Because I feel like you have this incredible track record of just excellence and success. Goal-oriented person right Yes. <laughs> That's a great question. And the answer to that is, I don't know. I'm just happy to the opportunity that I'm having uh, in the next few months. And once I get there, I'll just have a sense of how can I develop my best self at Amazon, what Amazon gives to me, because at this point, I just know of the interviews and the things that I read. So honestly, telling you my next goal at Amazon would be just a fantasy or something that might not be true because I just don't know. But you're open to the you're open to the unknown. Totally. I mean, I, I love unknown and I think life just has three basic rules. That's paradox, fun, and change. Paradox, I think just life is so complicated that we shouldn't spend time trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. Fun, we just have to laugh at what happens to us because otherwise we're just going to be in bad mood or just regretting what happens. If you just have a, a funny way of looking at things, way go, things go way smoother. And change, life is constantly changing. Uh, so you need to keep the pace with that change and, um, and change with it. Otherwise, the world will change and you will stay in the same place that you were before. So paradox, fun, and change. Devna, this was an excellent episode with Andres on. Thank you so much for coming in. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for everything. It was an amazing time here. Excellent. This episode was brought to you by The Half Pint. Want to celebrate a big win with your friends? Want to have a drink after a tough day at school? Then come on down to 76 West 3rd Street in New York in Greenwich Village to enjoy a drink with your friends.